This is your home of the Oregon Ducks. Up to Brown Jr. Passes off to Smith for the dunk with two hands. And we love to talk about them. With expert interviews, insight, and analysis, this is Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. And welcome into a second edition of the Quack Attack on 1029 750 the game. As far as college basketball is concerned, I'm Judah Newby. Chris Partee, Brandon Droz behind the glass. We're talking Ducks hoops for one hour as they go down to the desert facing Arizona State Thursday night, facing Arizona in a matinee matchup Saturday afternoon in Tucson. So much to unpack, and these are a couple of really challenging matchups for the Oregon Ducks, and they are not in any type of ideal situation right now, having lost to the Beavers last Friday night, 76-64. Coming up on the program, we'll talk to Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard. That will come up in our second segment. Steve is actually down in Arizona right now. He'll be going to uh, both contests, and we'll preview those matchups with him coming up in about 10 minutes' time. Plus, at 727, Brian Jeffries. He's the longtime voice of University of Arizona Athletics, football, basketball, baseball. This is his 30th season calling the action for the Wildcats if you can believe that started in 1987 so 30th season for him covering both football and basketball from a play-by-play standpoint he's seen national championships in basketball in 97 at the University of Arizona he's seen their first final four run all the way back in 86 he's seen a litany of talented players come through that program top head coaches uh, but I want to ask him about this year's roster and how that matchup Saturday, Arizona versus Oregon, is going to look, especially with one DeAndre Ayton gracing the front court for University of Arizona and Sean Miller. That's going to come up at 727. Plus, I'll ask Brian about his broadcasting career at large as well. He's got some Pacific Northwest ties to dive into. But first, we got to go back to last Friday night in Corvallis, a 76-64 Beaver victory over the Ducks in which Oregon was only trailing by a point at halftime. Quick shout-out to Paul White. Yeah, as far as the roster turnover has been concerned for Oregon, a lot of new faces. Paul White is one of them from the standpoint of this is his first season of eligibility playing. Of course, he was on the bench. He was on the roster last year, but he was ineligible considering it was his first year since transferring from Georgetown. The dude makes an impact. He's got skill. He's got uh, he's got some finesse, but he's got some power. And in the Friday night matchup with the Beavers, the only reason Oregon was down by just a point at halftime was because of Paul White. And he had 13 points coming off the bench in just the first half alone. So very impressive effort from him. He finishes with 16 points on the night. Now, of course, I think when you're talking about the landscape of a basketball game, the first half, everybody says it's not about how you start, it's how you finish when it comes to sports, right? Not about how you start, it's how you finish. But you can put yourself in a very good position to finish well if you've started in a decent way. And that's what Oregon failed to, you know, they failed to finish, obviously, in this game. But they did not put themselves in a position of strength in that first half, despite only being down by a point. Because Peyton Pritchard picked up two fouls early. Victor Bailey Jr. was in foul trouble. Kenny Wooten also had two fouls early in this game. In fact, in the first half against the Beavers, Peyton Pritchard and Kenny Wooten played a combined 13 minutes in the game. That's it. A combined 13 minutes in the first half. So they were unable to get their offensive flow going. And that led, of course, to Peyton Pritchard not even scoring in the first half. He didn't score until the 14-03 mark of the second half. Finished with nine points in the game. He's supposed to be your number one go-to guy on offense. He was unable to get going in this game. 
Victor Bailey Jr., he's kind of had an inconsistent season offensively in his own right, as has the entire team. But the key moment in this game against Oregon State came with 11.46 to go in the second half. This was the turning point because Oregon, at this point, had withstood an initial Beaver push. They came back within two points at 45-43. They got a steal, and Victor Bailey Jr., down by two, goes in for a layup, and he gets cute. And you see this from college players. You see it from NBA players all the time, but normally they've got the athletic ability and the skill to finish around the rim, and they can afford to be cute when they're going in for a finish. Victor Bailey Jr., doesn't he, he can't afford to do that. You just got to go up strong and finish off the glass the way you know how. He was unable to do that. So the Ducks, instead of tying the game right there and capitalizing with a fast break point, Bailey misses the layup. Oregon State goes down the floor the other side. Trace Tinkle hits a three-pointer. And you say, okay, well, you know, that doesn't have to be necessarily consequential in the big picture. It's just one play that Oregon State wins over Oregon. However, it started a 12-1 run for the Beavers. And it could have all been avoided if that layup goes in. So when you're talking turning points and you're talking a game in which you ultimately lose by 12 and you were trailing by 20 at one point, if you want turning points, I would suggest that was the turning point in this game. 11.46 to go in regulation. Bailey misses the layup. Trace Tinkle turns it into a three-pointer. Beavers go on a 12-1 run. But ultimately, you know, Dana Altman after the game, he says, look, Oregon State, they just outworked us. And I'm always intrigued when a coach says that because is he putting the onus on himself or is he putting it on the players when he says the opposition worked harder than us? You know, Sean Miller, Arizona went to uh, Colorado on Sunday. Two days after they lost or two days after they got a win in Salt Lake City over Utah, they go to Colorado and they get just run. They end up losing by three, but they were losing by 20 in that game and by 10 with like four minutes left. You know, Colorado was in control of most of that game. Sean Miller, after the game, calls out his Arizona team, but he doesn't call out the players as much as he calls out himself. He says, I didn't have these guys ready to play. We got outworked. We got out hustled. We didn't have the energy that the opposition did, but that's on me. That's what Sean Miller said. You know, as opposed to what Dana Allman is saying, and I'm not saying Dana Allman is blaming his players, I am just curious as a third-party observer how coaches characterize reasons for losses. You know, and and when it comes to the Ducks, they shot in this game 36%, 36.2%. I mean, no matter where you go in the Pac-12, you can't shoot 36% on the road and win a lot of basketball games. You're not going to be able to do it. Now, ordinarily, Dana Altman is able to preach a kind of active perimeter defense, a stingy defense that also limits the field goal percentages of the opposition. Not so in this one. Beavers, 52.8% from the floor. There's your ball game. You know, rebounds were comparable. Turnovers were comparable. Offensive rebounds, free throw percentages, that was all comparable, except for shooting from the floor. 52.8% for Oregon State, 36.2% for the Ducks. Going forward... How does Oregon solve their shooting woes? You know, a lot of it is matchup based. And I think we'll get into this as the program unfolds, but I think the matchup tomorrow night for Oregon against Bobby Hurley in Arizona State is more favorable than Saturday against Sean Miller in Arizona. Partly it's because Oregon doesn't have any presence on the inside, and Arizona's got two dominant front court players in DeAndre Ayton and Dusan Rustich. Arizona State, on the other hand, similar to Oregon in the regard of their best. Your, their best front court guys are about 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and they like to light it up from beyond the arc. Guys like Trey Holder, he'll be going in the NBA draft. 
and they play shoddy defense at best, but they try to shoot the lights out of the building. That's Arizona State's MO. I think that MO for ASU is more vulnerable, more gettable for the Ducks than Arizona's on Saturday afternoon. That's just my opinion. I'll flesh it out a little bit more as the program unfolds. Coming up next, though, we're going to go down to the state of Arizona. Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard is there. He covers the team, Oregon basketball, on a day-in, day-out basis. He'll break down this matchup, Ducks-Arizona State and Ducks-Arizona. That's coming up next. I'm Judah Newby. This is the Quack Attack on 102.9-750 The Game. Back to Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. Ducks head to Arizona State tomorrow night. Then the University of Arizona Saturday afternoon. We go out to the phones right now on the Quack Attack and uh, talk to Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard. You can find him on Twitter at Steve Mims underscore RG. Steve, thanks for taking the time to this evening, sir. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good to catch up with you, Judah. Absolutely. Good to talk to you as well. I think... Uh, we last talked during duck football season and it's a little bit a little bit has happened since duck football season going into duck basketball season but as far as concerns the Oregon team on the hardwood uh what were your takeaways from the loss to the beavers well i just think you know it's the second time that they've just really shot poorly I think they shot 36% from the field and uh you know even at home against utah to open they shot 42% so that's been concern. Some we haven't seen from more. You know, in the past few years, sort of a bad shooting night's been 45, 46%, and we've seen them go quite a bit lower than that now twice and, and lost both those games. Going ahead to this week, then, is it is that fixable right away? Is it just a, in terms of uh, fixing the shooting woes, or is there something schematic Dana Altman needs to adjust for, or is this just part of the inconsistency of the young team that we've seen throughout the year? Yeah, I mean, he always talks about ball movement, obviously, and, you know, you get some guys who just sort of kind of go down and dribble, 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 and then shoot. And He said that, you know, that was kind of the emphasis of practice this week. He said it has been before, but he thought hopefully and in his mind that two losses would kind of prove these guys what they're doing wouldn't work. So we'll see. I mean, I think he thinks that there's a, you know, a solution there and they're working on it, but it hasn't shown up in games yet. So, he's, you know, it's it would be easier to, to do that against Oregon State or something, no matter even if you're moving the ball well. It's going to be a tough challenge this week with the only two ranked teams in the Pac-12. Yeah, speaking of that, how do you see the Ducks stacking up, first of all, with Arizona State on Thursday? Well, it's you know, it's not a bad matchup for them because, you know, Oregon doesn't have a whole lot of bigs. So, and new to ASU, so they can kind of match them up there. I think the Saturday one's a very concern there is just, you know, they've got three senior guards who, you know, two of them are four-year guys, and one of them's a, been there for three years, played two years. So they've got a more experience in the backcourt that Oregon's got, and I think that's kind of the concern right now. If they can kind of get Oregon around and, and do that, you know, off their off their mark, I, I think that's what they've done to a lot of teams. And the backcourt's certainly going to be a tough matchup for, for Oregon's three guys. On Saturday, the matchup with Arizona is a little bit different considering their star power in the front court. Um, how do you think the Ducks match up with the Wildcats? Well, not very well there. Um, you know, I mean, Oregon's bigs right now, it's Kenny Newton who's been getting in a lot of foul trouble, and then Paul White, who's you know almost more comfortable being out on the perimeter, and Mikhail McIntosh is their one banger, and he's 6'7", and you're going up against, you know, DeAndre Iton, who's what, seven foot one and just, you know, a man-child out there, and and then you're going up against, you know, they got Dusan Rist if they can throw there too. So they could really create some, some major problems, I think, inside for the Ducks. You can follow him on Twitter at Steve Mims underscore RG. Um, a lot of discussion about the continuity with this team and, of course, the roster turnover and how that in turn has affected team chemistry on the court. 
Are you surprised that it's taken this long so far for Oregon to gel, or was this inevitable? Yeah, I think it was. You know, I think you're surprised just because we've seen past teams that had a lot of turnover, too, could kind of get it together quickly. But, you know, this team really, you know, I mean, they brought back, you know, three of the guys they brought back just aren't really in the seven-man rotation right now. I mean, they, they basically have seven guys that really rely on heavily and six of them are new guys. So, you know, even a couple of years ago, you know, there was Joe Young and Elville Cook, so you had at least two guys. And uh, they've been able to kind of mix some new guys in with veterans. But now you've got basically your point guard and then everybody else around them is new. So, I don't think it's a huge surprise, just in the fact that I'm really surprised just the fact that they they haven't dealt with this in past years when they had things somewhat similar. So maybe it's just the fact that it finally isn't coming together as quickly as it has in the past is a surprise. It would be a disappointment if this team fails to make the NCAA tournament. But Steve, how likely is a scenario that that has the Ducks playing in the field of 68 at the end of the season? Well, I think it's probably, I mean, I think if you'd take 50-50 at best right now, you know, I mean, they, they don't have a quality win. The, the PK didn't work out when they scheduled their non-conference thinking that they wouldn't have to play a whole lot of teams because they'd get some, you know, some good wins at the PK-80 and, and then lose into an unranked Connecticut team. And then their only win there was over DePaul, which isn't very good. And then their loss, you know, to Oklahoma, which at the time didn't look like a great team, but it's now a top 10 team. So they just don't have any quality wins. I mean, their best, you know, they lost to Boise State at home, which hurts them too, even though Boise's playing well. They, they just don't really have a win over a top 40 team right now. And, you know, there's going to be some chances in the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 is down a little bit. So, I mean, this is probably an Oregon team that needs to go, I would think, at least 10 and 8, maybe 11 and 7 in the Pac-12 to get in. And when you start out at 1 and 2, that's a little tougher road than maybe you thought it was going to be. I know February is still a ways away, March as well, but could you imagine a scenario, given the current landscape of the Pac-12, that Oregon might piece this sucker together and just get the automatic qualifier with the tournament win, or is is that uh, is that too far ahead? You know, I think they could just because, I mean, you look at Arizona's kind of the only real dominant team right now. I know Arizona State's been really good, but, you know, just with their personnel and they've now lost two out of three, so maybe, you know, and there's just not, it's not like you're looking at a tournament where your semifinal and your final are going to be against top ten teams like it was a couple years ago. I mean, I think you can... You know, if you, you play yourself into a first-round bye, you know, which only takes a fourth place, it's great. But even if you're fifth or sixth, I think you feel like you have a pretty winnable game in the first round, and then that second team you're facing is going to be, you know, a team that's probably, you know, down in the, you know, down in the standings, not in the top 25. So you could play yourself without having to face a ranked team probably into the championship game. And, yeah, if you're clicking on two days in a row and, and maybe in Arizona or something like that's got some things wrapped up, you can come in there with a little bit more momentum than them. You cover this team day in, day out. What has the mood of Dana Altman been like amid these kind of struggles and frustrations? Have you seen anything different about either the way that he carries himself or the way that he's speaking to the media this year as opposed to years past? No, not at all. I mean, he's always been, you know, even last year, you know, when they were going well, it was, you know, we still got a lot of work to do and to get there. And he always talks about, you know, you, you, know, you get better in December and then January, February, March and stuff. And it's the same thing now. I mean, I mean certainly at this point, Last year and the last two years, you know, it was a team that was kind of rolling. So his concerns, you kind of went, ah, oh, well, maybe he's just trying to kind of keep you guys motivated. But now when he expresses some of the concerns, you certainly see it in the games and, and you definitely think he, he believes what he's saying for sure. Finally, Steve, how do you see these two games playing out? Do the Ducks find a way to get a split here or is this going to be tough sledding for them? Yeah, I think it'd be tough sled. I think tomorrow night's the best chance, just because, like I say, they match up a little bit better. I think you know Arizona's got such a raucous home crowd, that, and that's an early, an early game. I think that's going to be a really hard one for them. I, I think the key would be to get one tomorrow, but I think if you do that, maybe you play a little bit looser on Saturday. But 
Um, you know, we just, we've seen, you know, Arizona State hasn't lost at home. They've beaten some pretty good teams, certainly some teams better than Oregon. I, I think matchup-wise it works out a little bit better for them, but, but ASU is certainly playing better than Oregon right now, and, and they're at home, and they're going to have a big – they've been getting bigger crowds too as they've been more successful. At Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard. Follow him on Twitter, at Steve Mims underscore RG. He's got you covered with Duck Basketball on a critical week of the 2018 season. Steve, thank you for taking the time to join us here on Quack Attack. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you down the line. Sounds good, Judah. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks to Steve Mims for joining us. Coming up, Ducks matchup decently with ASU. That's on Thursday. But how about Saturday's showdown at McHale Center with Arizona? Longtime voice of the Wildcats. Brian Jeffries will join the show next. This is the Quack Attack on 102.9-750 The Game. More Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On your home of the Oregon Ducks. 102.9 and 7.50 The Game. Really excited about our next guest. He is the longtime voice of University of Arizona Athletics and has been since 1987. He's got a wealth of knowledge in the world of sports broadcasting. And for practical purposes this evening, uh, he's joining us as well on the phone lines to discuss Oregon and Arizona, which is coming up Saturday afternoon on the tail end of the Ducks' trip to the desert. He is Brian Jeffries joining us on the Quack Attack here on 102.9750 The Game. Brian, how you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you. we got a little uh, Oregon weather here right now. It's been raining today, which is, of course, unusual for us, but uh, we like it. Uh, this basketball season, first of all, for the state of Arizona... Uh, you've been with the Wildcats for 30 years now. 31. Is is this your 31st season behind the mic for Arizona? Uh, yeah, 30th doing uh, football and basketball. Wow, that's incredible. Given the fact that Arizona State and Arizona are both so talented and playing at such a high level this year, what kind of vibes have you gleaned from the state as a basketball state this year as opposed to years past? Well, of course, Arizona has been a you know top-notch program for decades now, and so that's really nothing new. Uh, Arizona State's emergence has certainly been one of the surprises, I think, in college basketball. And yes, it's actually good for the state. And believe it or not, uh, maybe not the Arizona fans, but I think the, the coaches like the fact that Arizona State has a strong program, because in years past, when they haven't, uh, too many teams—I'm talking about conference teams—could come to the state and overlook Arizona State and do all their preparations aimed at trying to beat Arizona at McHale Center. So having two strong programs here, that means everyone that makes the stop here uh, at both schools during conference play has to prepare, I think, equally for both. And they're radically different teams in the way they go about things. So it's quite a challenge now, I think, this season for all the other Pac-12 teams to make the trip down here to the Grand Canyon State. And like I said, Arizona coaches actually like the idea that Arizona State is a stronger program than it has been in the past. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how that dynamic you're referring to affects the Oregon-Arizona game Saturday afternoon, considering that the Ducks will have just uh, tried to keep pace with Bobby Hurley's squad on Thursday night. Brian Jeffries joining us, the voice of the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, Brian, Arizona 12-4, and 2-1 and one for their start in Pac-12 play, and that defeat just came this past weekend at the hands of the Colorado Buffaloes, 80-77. to um, You've seen this team, obviously, all year from their, their struggles in the Bahamas uh, to where they are now, and that loss just snapped a nine-game win streak. So in, in your eyes and in your opinion, where is this team at right now in terms of their form? Well, I think uh, before Saturday's loss, uh, they were playing very good basketball. You mentioned they'd won nine straight. Uh, I think that uh, that was a little bit of a shock to the system. 
and take nothing away from Colorado. They had a great weekend. They beat both Arizona schools at home. Uh, but uh, I saw some of the same things in the Arizona team that I saw down in the Bahamas, and that was just lack of defensive effort. And it's a, this is a very good Arizona offensive team. Maybe, in fact, it might go beyond maybe. It probably is the best offensive team that Sean Miller's had in nine years at Arizona. But defensively, they were nowhere close to some of the better teams that he's had. That's what hurt them in the Bahamas. It's, it's hurt them in some other games they've been able to win. And this is another game where, in the first half in particular, they just didn't have the effort needed to play good man-to-man defense. Colorado took advantage of it, had a 20-point lead in the first half. And even though Arizona came back and closed within a possession, uh, on the road to be that far behind, it's, it's a tough nut to crack. So uh, that's where they are right now. It's a very talented offensive team. Uh, but at the same time, it's a team that's trying to find its identity on the defensive side. And if they do, if they can find some consistency on the defensive side, I think the Wildcats can be still one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, I was reading Sean Miller's comments after the loss to Colorado, and it raised my eyebrows, frankly, because you know you could have pointed to a lot of different factors as reasons why Arizona struggled in Boulder. Namely, it's a tough place to play, and Colorado plays well at home, and it wasn't that far removed from a tough win at Salt Lake and the elevation, but Sean Miller had some pretty self-critical comments, some bold comments about himself saying he didn't have his team ready. Was that is that typical of Sean Miller after a defeat to take it upon himself like that, or did you make anything of those comments? Well, I yeah, I, I, I don't know that there's anything that I saw in particular other than the fact trying to our coach trying to motivate his team, uh, going to practice daily, watching them play. I didn't get the sense, at least going into that ball game, and based on what I saw Friday in the practice, that they were any less prepared than they had been all season long. I don't know if it was the early start, elevation, quick turnaround. I think it was more just the, the team, and you can say pretty much as a whole, just wasn't ready to play. And, you know, the coach – some coaches want to take that upon themselves and say, okay, well, maybe I didn't kick their you-know-what hard enough uh, getting ready for this ball game. Maybe I thought that they were playing too well. They've won nine straight games. I don't think that Sean Miller relaxed at all in his preparation. I saw the same that they've done for every game, but you know, maybe the guys just didn't uh, take heed, didn't realize what they were in for. Again, I'm not trying to make excuses. Colorado was the better team that day, and they deserved to win. Uh, but Sean Miller was just very upset with the way that his guys approached the game, and I think he wanted to let it be known that uh, he's probably going to have to crack the whip a little more here this week to get him back where he wants him. Brian Jeffries joining us here on the Quack Attack. He's the voice of the Arizona Wildcats. Brian, watching DeAndre Ayton play this year has been uh, just fascinating. The seven foot one big man from the Bahamas. His skill set's very impressive, averaging over 20 points a game and over 11.5 rebounds a game as well. What have your impressions been of watching DeAndre play this year, and are there any other comparisons of his game that you can make to, to other players that you've seen? Uh, none at Arizona, I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a guy at seven foot one that can do what he does, no. They've never had anyone come through the program anywhere close to that. Obviously, there have been some great players, but most of them have been guards and, and wing players, and, and they've had some good big men. But they've never had a guy at seven foot one that has the skill set that you talked about. Somebody that never lifted weights, uh, but and yet is innately strong, has a great court sense. Uh, he's got 
25 or 30 assists now on the season, which is rare for a guy his size. Uh, he's not selfish. Uh, he, he can jump out of the building. Uh, he can hurt you inside. He's got a pretty good face-up jumper to 18 feet. Uh, he's potentially the number one pick in the NBA draft, and the more scouts that I talk to, the more of them are impressed. And the fact that, gosh, the guy's a freshman. I mean, he's only played, what, 16 games now, and imagine what it'll be like by the end of the season. So uh, something special, once in a generation, man-child, you throw the cliche in there you want. Uh, he is uh, something that Sean Miller says he's never had before and may never have again to have someone of that talent at that size. And so Arizona fans better enjoy him because they've got another half season to go before he's going to be paid you know, millions to play in the NBA. And that's one of the young stars on this year's roster. But how about some of the seasoned vets that, that stand out? There are some key seniors like a Parker Jackson Cartwright, like a Dusan Ristic, uh, even um, – uh, Alonzo Trier is not a senior; he's a junior, but he's a, a well-seasoned player. Uh, what kind of leadership exists on this year's Wildcats roster? Well, that's one of the I think question marks going into the season, and it might still be a bit of a question mark. Uh, Parker and Dusan are are both, as you mentioned, seniors, but they lead by example. They're not the most vocal guys in the world. Uh, Alonzo might be a little more vocal. I think Raleigh Alkins might be the leader that they've been looking for just because of his toughness, and he's not afraid to speak up. But having a senior point guard is very important, and you uh, you couple Parker with uh, Alonzo on the backcourt and, and Raleigh Alkins, those three guys really make up the three-guard lineup, and you know that's a pretty strong set. Uh, Dusan has been incredibly consistent. You know he's not going to be uh, you know he, he's not going to be a big star. Let's put it that way, and he doesn't need to be and doesn't want to be. Uh, he's from Serbia. He'll probably go back and play in Europe next year. He's going to get his degree. Uh, he's all about showing up for practice and being the same every single day. And so if they can get 10 points and six rebounds out of him a night, that's exactly what they're looking for. And it gives Arizona two seven-footers down low, and that's a tough matchup for a lot of teams. And so uh, those guys are very valuable. But, uh, you know, I think Sean's been able to go about eight or nine deep now. And uh, the more that some of the younger guys get going, it's going to, help the, the older guys this team was second ranked in the country at one point prior to the you know bahamas trip and they're kind of working their way back into form and you mentioned it earlier brian if they can find that defensive consistency in terms of their ceiling is this team capable of making not only a deep run in the tournament but perhaps something all the way to the final four well, a lot of people had him pegged for you know, a Final Four-level team before the season started, and you know when they hit that bump down there in the Bahamas, certainly I think uh, some folks were scratching their head. Uh, I still think that there's that possibility. Uh, I've been around this game long enough to know that when you get into the NC tournament, a lot of it has to do with matchups and location, etc. Uh, luck certainly comes into play. Uh, Arizona's had some talented teams before that haven't made it to the Final Four. They've had less talented teams that have made it to the final four. So I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and predict anything. Uh, I think again, if, if this team continues to improve, uh, they're going to be in the mix to get there. And you know, looking around college basketball right now, I just don't know that there is a, I don't think there's a super team. I'm not sure that there's four teams right now that you could point out and say, wow, they're heads above everyone else. I think that um, parity is set in. The one thing that uh, that could hurt Arizona if the Wildcats play well down the stretch here over the second half of the season, how strong is the Pac-12 going to be this year? They need to be pushed 
Uh, they need some Pac-12 teams to kind of separate themselves and improve their RPI because that goes into seeding, et cetera. So there's so much to be decided between now and March. But to answer your question, yeah, Arizona's got a chance. If they stay healthy and, and get better on the defensive side, that they've got a chance. Now we're the home of the Ducks, but we're also keeping an eye on Oregon State basketball as well, uh, given their recent success. How do you see tomorrow night's matchup when Arizona hosts the Beavers? Well, I, uh, you know, I'm in some ways I'm happy for Wayne Tinkle that he's got a healthy team because last year you don't want to go through anything like that where you have injuries left and right and you can you know barely put a team on the court and uh, they just they struggle and there's you know teams have those nightmare seasons and you feel bad for them you really do and so uh, in some ways like I said I'm I'm glad they're a healthy team they're going to come down here at full strength and playing good basketball they've won eight of their last ten they've got Stephen Thompson. Uh, fully healthy now this year, and obviously Trace Tinkle, their leading scorer. And so it looks like a solid basketball team. I'm interested to see them because they've got some young guys, too, that really helped lift them to this 10 wins so far. It'll be their first conference road game, and I know looking at Oregon State over the last couple of years, that's where they really struggle is on the road. So that's going to be a test for them uh, tomorrow night. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think Arizona's got to find a way to bounce back from Saturday. So that makes it an intriguing matchup going in. Brian Jeffries, voice of the Wildcats, joining us here on 1029-750 The Game. Brian, you've been the voice since 1987. From what I've been reading, you've been in the Tucson area since 1980. But back before then, you had some Pacific Northwest ties with your uh, first radio DJ job up in Yakima in central Washington. What were your memories of uh, being based out here in the Pacific Northwest? Well, like anybody that gets their first job in uh, radio, uh, you're not making much money and you're doing everything. And so I was the uh, morning disc jockey. Uh, I was the news guy and I was the sports guy. So uh, high school football, basketball, American Legion baseball, play-by-play. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, playing rock and roll music in the morning, going down to City Hall and gathering the news for the new newscast. The uh, owner of the station had a horse that uh, was boarded right outside the station, believe it or not, and one of our jobs on the weekend was to feed the horse. So it's, uh, it was <laughs> great small-town radio. Uh, I'll, you know, it's something that uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I went through. I really did. I, I tell a lot of people that are trying to get into this business, uh, there's nothing wrong with starting out at the bottom like that because you can make a lot of mistakes and learn a lot of things. And I sure did. And so, yeah, I have a lot of roots in, in the Northwest uh, and an uncle that have lived down in the Portland area. I visited uh, West Lynn for, for many, many years. And so, it's um, you know, that's my home up in the Northwest. It's always fun to go back, although I've been here a long, long time. But, uh, yeah, getting into radio, it's, it's fun. It, now you look back at it and you say, boy, that was a lot of fun when, when it was going on. You're saying, how am I going to make it to the next paycheck? <laughs> because that's, that's kind of the, the early stages in small-town radio. As for your career with the Wildcats, you've seen so many uh, athletic achievements there for the University of Arizona, including 1987, or, or excuse me, 1988, the first Final Four trip for the men's basketball team and the 1997 national title, national championships for the baseball team as well. Um, you know, what stands out? I mean, obviously that's an unfair question. Over 30 years, what are some of your favorite memories? Can you co- condense that in 60 seconds? So I'm sorry yeah, to put you, you on the spot, but uh, yeah. what, 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 do you, uh, what do you think about when you think of 30 years of Arizona athletics that you've seen? 
Well, I've just been very lucky and very blessed to be around some great people and some great coaches and a, a lot of success in all three sports. And uh, that's something you kind of pinch yourself because not every play-by-play announcer gets to do that. And so the first, uh, the first Final Four in 1988, I think when Arizona beat North Carolina at the Kingdom in Seattle to win the regional championship and go to the Final Four, that's one that stands out because you only, that only happens once to a school when they get that first Final Four. Uh, national championships in baseball, uh, always fun. I love going to Omaha, any chance we get. And, uh, you know, football has had, hasn't been in the Rose Bowl yet, uh, but has had some outstanding seasons, including the best season in school history. And so, and football is a very special sport, in particular in the Pac-12, maybe not in bowl season this year, but uh, you always look forward to the fall, and Arizona will have a new coach as well to look forward to this coming fall. Uh, before I let you go, Brian, I want to ask you about um, one player in particular that has come through Arizona because of just how fascinating he is as an NBA head coach to listen to and to cover, and, and that's Steve Kerr. And, um, you know, I know that his career at Arizona was a unique one, given his uh, personal circumstances that he had to work through. But what were your memories of Steve Kerr as a player coming through Tucson? Well, keep in mind that when uh, Lute Olson recruited him, he really wasn't recruiting him. Uh, Lute and his, his first wife, Bobby, had gone to see another player at a high school game. And the story goes that Bobby kind of nudged Lute and said, well, what about that blonde kid over there? What do you think of him? And Luke was not there to see Steve, but watched him play and was intrigued with uh, his savvy on the court. He may not have been the biggest, fastest guy in the world, but uh, he just loved the way he played the game. And so, yeah, he offered him a scholarship, and, and Steve took it, and the rest is, is kind of history. And uh, Steve is one of the most beloved players here. Even before he came coach of the Warriors, uh, so much respect because here's a guy, again, that was overlooked but uh, worked his rear end off got into the NBA, didn't figure he was going to last more than a season, ended up getting championship rings with the Bulls, and then progressing and now uh, on to a fantastic coaching career. It doesn't surprise me, knowing Steve as long as I have, just because he's a very extremely intelligent young man, well, maybe not young anymore, but uh, he knows the game so well, and he's a tremendous people person. He relates so well to everyone, and that's why in the NBA, as you know, that, that is a, a tough part of the job, but I think that's one reason the Warriors have been successful. Yes, they've got talent. Steve's an outstanding X and O's guy, but he relates so well to the players that they love playing for him. Brian Jeffries, he's the voice of the Wildcats, has been for over three decades now. Brian, thanks for being so generous with your time. We appreciate you joining the Quack Attack here on 1029 and 750 The Game, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Great stuff there with Brian Jeffries. Appreciate his time very much. Three segments down, one to go. The hours just fly by here in the middle of the week when we're talking about college basketball, specifically the Ducks on the hardwood. Would go wait, come back one more time, taking you to the top of the hour. This is Judah Newby on the Quack Attack 1029 750 The Game. Back to Quack Attack with Judah Newby, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks, 1029 and 750 The Game. Trojans out of timeouts. It's McLaughlin, stop and start to the rim, lays it in. What a finish. Davis at the horn.
the freshman out of Seattle Garfield High School with his first signature moment. That was the call last week. Stanford's Dijon Davis hitting a buzzer beater from half court to beat USC. The young man out of Seattle hitting the buzzer beater. That was incredible. That was just part of what a crazy weekend it was in Pac-12 basketball. So here we are. Every team has played three conference games. Everybody has at least one loss. It's incredible. You have Arizona, who you thought was flexing on folk. A nine-game winning streak. They go into Salt Lake City. They take care of business against Utah in a real tough one. Two days later, they go to Colorado. They get their butts handed to them. Ultimately, yeah, I get it. It's a close game in the final score, but that game was not as close as that final score indicated. Colorado was in full control of that game. You have an Arizona State team that is unable to find their non-conference form right now. Remember, that team was as high as third in the country. But now they stumble at Colorado. So, you know, you all the teams that you thought might be able to be in positions of strength here early in the conference season are actually the ones that are struggling to rediscover their identity. Meanwhile, you've got teams like Oregon State that are just ready to spring upsets everywhere. Colorado, that barely beat Oregon State, barely, got handled by Oregon and Eugene, is the same Colorado team that turns around and goes home and upsets both Arizona schools. I think if you're a Duck fan, that should give you some hope to spring an upset tomorrow night at Arizona State. And that brings me to talking about this weekend. Arizona State is Oregon's best chance at a win this week. I don't think they can get it done at Arizona, specifically because of the big man DeAndre Aton. is going to be too much to handle inside because the Ducks just don't have the thickness, they don't have the depth, and they don't have... Um, the ability to bang around down low with a guy like DeAndre Aton or Dusan Rustich. Um, both of those guys with have special presences down low that in order to counterbalance them, you got to do what Colorado did and throw your own seven-footer down there and let him bang around down low. And Colorado had a seven-footer that went uh, seven for seven from the floor for 15 points, and that was part of their recipe for the upset of Arizona. I don't think the Ducks have that in them. But I do think they've got the ability to piece together enough strong perimeter defense to pull the upset of Trey Holder and Arizona State. Ultimately, I'm not going to predict that it's going to happen. I think the Ducks lose twice. I hope they hear it, and I hope they use it as bulletin board material, frankly. I want to see this team get to the NCAA tournament because they're certainly good enough. I remember at the beginning of the year, I couldn't go to any NBA mock draft board without seeing Troy Brown Jr. in the top 15 somewhere, sometimes in the top 10. You go to any mock draft board now, you're not seeing his name anywhere. The guy's just been, frankly, a disappointment. You know? And you look, for guys that good, I don't care if they're 18 years old, you got to lay the criticism where the criticism belongs. It's been a disappointing year for Troy Brown Jr. And you wonder, as far as the continuity discussion is concerned, why would the continuity be that much different next season? Now, if Troy Brown Jr. returns, you know, I, I could see where that would obviously help. But... If he's a one and done and he ends up being drafted late first round or early second round, then you know, you're talking about some degree of roster turnover again in twenty eighteen to nineteen. And we're probably talking about the same thing. You know, Tyson Alger of the Oregonian had a really nice piece where he he dove into uh, Ken Pomeroy's advanced statistics and I brought up Ken Pomeroy's name in our first quack attack a week ago uh tonight. Where, you know, Ken Palm has really changed the game and he's changed the landscape of advanced metrics in college basketball in terms of predictability. 
and he's really stood out. Obviously, he's been doing it probably about what seven or eight years now. He's been around for a long time. But one of his more new metrics is that of minutes continuity. And Alger pointed this out in, on the Oregon Live earlier this week. Minutes continuity is a metric that Ken Palm started in 2016. This statistic measures how many minutes have carried over from players for a team from one year to the next. So how many percentage of minutes from last year's roster carried over to this year's roster? The national average is around 50%. Oregon, 18.5%. That's 342nd out of 351 teams. It's 11th in the Pac-12. Only Cal has less minutes continuity. Now, of course, Oregon lost four starters. They lost eight total players from last year. They have three freshmen averaging 19 minutes or more. Two more transfers averaging 24 minutes a game or more. And the guys they returned, Keith Smith, Roman Sorkin, among others, those guys aren't playing very much, averaging 11 minutes or fewer per game. 75% of the team's minutes played this season have been played by players who were not on this team last year. 75%. How's that for lack of continuity? It's not that this team doesn't have talent. They do. College basketball is just a freaking tough, condensed sprint of a season when, when you're talking about new guys trying to gel with each other. And it's obviously going to take some time. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the Quack Attack here on 1029 750 The Game. Follow us at 1029 The Game. Follow me at Judah Newby. Big shout, Chris Partee behind the glass. Thank you, Steve Mims. Thank you, Brian Jeffries. I am out the door. Ducks on IMG Thursday night and Saturday afternoon right here on The Game.